Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End. Uh, as always, it's a podcast about our take on life as a Watford fan. Uh, and it's very much going to be be that this week. Uh, I, I did make the trip up to Blackpool, uh, but we will be talking to Lionel Burney in part one uh, about what he saw uh, up there uh, against the Tangerines, uh, what he thought of it all. But we'll get to that in just, just a second's time. Uh, part two, though, uh, was just Mike and I having a chat about Gino Pozzo. You probably know why we want to talk about it, and we're just going to flush through all our thoughts on it, and and hopefully some of it will resonate with you. Uh, Maybe none of it will, Uh, and if it does or it doesn't, then do get in touch via social media or via email, podcast at fromtherookerend.com, and of course the socials are at Watford Podcast. Lots been going on, and, and there's lots of emotions going on, and we've given it a couple of weeks, a couple of rest weeks, and we just want to see where we're at at this point in our relationship with Mr. Gino Pozzo. But let's start with a chat with Lionel Burney, of course, friend of the podcast, uh, Watford author, the writer of Enjoy the Game, as well as, well, several other Watford books. Uh, You may have one of them in your collection. He was at Bloomfield Road, uh, and we had a bit of a chat after the game on the phone, hence why it sounds a little bit windy up there. He was just outside the ground, and I wanted to get his take and what he made of Watford's performance. So Lionel, how's Blackpool? <laughs> is Blackpool it, is it? Yeah. Is, it's lovely. It's sunny. I can see Blackpool Tower. I'm not far from the Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Not much pleasure at Bloomfield Road no, though, no. I'm afraid. No, it wasn't at all. I mean it, it started off badly, didn't it, with well just it just seemed like that, that their first goal was just a mess. And I don't mean it was a messy goal because he just about got it got it in there, but we messily handed it to him. It was a mess from two o'clock when the team sheet came out, wasn't it, really? <laughs> sure, I mean, yeah. it was like uh, staring at a magic eye picture. Uh, good <laughs> 1990s reference there. I was sort of squinting at the lineup, trying to work out, well, wh- wh- where, where is, where's the right back? Where's, who's doing what? We were speculating maybe Chowdhury would drop into the back four or... Uh, we just could not work it out from the names on the list and uh, it was only when we got to the ground and we, we saw Andrew French who actually gave me my first job in journalism in a work, roundabout uh-huh. way and is now back at the Watford Observer and he said that his intel was that Gosling was going to start at right back and so it proved uh, but I think that just showed that you know Billich's job today was sort of putting all the names into a hat and drawing them out at random and trying to come up with a starting 11 that would make some sense. And, of course, it wasn't the greatest start. I'm up here for slightly sentimental reasons, actually, John, because um, I've never been to Bloomfield Road to watch a match before and I'm trying to kick off the grounds this season. And uh, my dad was born in Blackpool. He passed away in June. Uh, we were season ticket holders. He took me to my first ever game. He first watched Watford in the 1950s when, of course, they played in blue. And we played in blue this afternoon. And so all the symbolism was there for, uh, you know, a great result. And yeah. I was with uh, some members of my other half's family who are all from Blackpool and the surrounding area. And they were telling me just how awful Madine was. And he hasn't scored since in the 70s or something. And uh, lo and behold, you know, a mess, a scramble and a kind of lobbed. Uh, into the top corner over over Backman and and Blackpool had the lead after 10 minutes and we were just all at sea, weren't we? I mean, it did really look like the the names had just been sort of shuffled, uh, a bit like dropping a deck of cards on the floor and Mm. seeing what landed face side up. But 
I thought we got back into it reasonably well. There was a bit of composure. Of course, Loser making his first start was very bright. Um, you know, there's a lot of promise there. And of course, the free kick was, was fantastic. I was trying to work out whether that's the first time we've scored from a direct free kick since Massina at Cardiff. In I think the, it is, yeah. The lockdown promotion season. So, you know, a little moment there. But I'm afraid in the second half, it was just... Well, by the end, I was sort of staring in open-mouthed horror at what was going on because it's just a team without anything. It hasn't got any heart or steel. Or, or I know Bilic has only been here a week or so. You know, he's had a, a great start, a, a very bad midweek, and and today I think was just as bad as Wednesday night in the second half. It's just it's his, it's early days for him, but I just can't see any pattern to what they're trying to do. They're a, a team without any sort of identity at the moment. But do you think he can actually? make a pattern because of all the the um injuries he's had and who you think he would want to pick and you said you know you you were you know jokingly sort of saying how he might have actually come up with the 11 but he is patching things together and he's got to make do really with what he's got of course but that is the job of a championship football manager and you don't get you don't get a kind of you know bedding in period you you hit the ground running with three games in a week and you have that's the job i mean you know we've talked before about how patchy the squad is that's what he's got to work with i do sympathize with him because it's not really his fault i think the players have to look at themselves for just the, the 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 level of kind of oomph that they put into the performance and I'm afraid ultimately and there were smatterings today of Pozzo out we want Pozzo out you know the owner has got to really uh, sort of take a long look at what what are we doing what is this I mean it's only a fortnight ago we were all backed backing a young British manager with a long-term vision and now that's been completely thrown up in you know thrown in the air I've got no real complaints about um, you know getting rid of Edwards if Billich um, is an improvement because you know Edwards' performances weren't particularly good. There wasn't really any sign of um, anything being established quickly enough for this division. And I'm afraid today it's just a, a reminder of all the sort of the, the the comforting myth we tell ourselves when the Premier League turns out to be miserable. You know, oh, don't worry, the Championship will be a romp. It will be fun. <laughs> Three games a week, we'll win some games, we'll score some goals. Well, you know, Blackpool had a lot of fun this afternoon. They were singing "Spirit in the Sky" or whatever their version of that song is. They were having a, a fantastic time, and uh, we just look like a team that is not ready for this type of challenge. Players that don't really know what it's about and like I say just a, a sort of emptiness at the heart of the team yeah we, we, we in part two Mark and I've already recorded it and, and you yeah, know we, we will talk about our feelings towards Mr Pozzo and, and and what he's doing at the moment a bit later on but I suppose did you get that that thing in, in that you know we, we're looking for we're knowing there's a limitation to these players but we're looking at sort of how they reacted and how they reacted in that first half was good they start you know they 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 played like they were the better team. Um, loser particularly just shone on that on that pitch. It just then this and and that's got got us the goal. It was then in that second half, even with the substitutions we made with Espria and and Davis coming on, you know nothing. I mean, they, I can't I can't even think of one at really time where we really really pressurised the the Blackpool goalie in the second half, even though we had so much possession. 
it, I don't know. I'm trying to think. You no, know, I, I suppose I really wanted Loser to lift us, and and he did for a, a certain spell. Loser's a very good player, isn't he? And it's his first start of the season, so I mean, we shouldn't go in too hard on him. But no. he, he's he's also he played it very safe today, and I think with. With time, hopefully, he'll take some more risks. I mean, the, the forward passes need to be more quicker and more probing. He needs to, you know, they, they all look like they're scared of trying something that doesn't come off. Um, and, and, and so there's a sort of a kind of flat, dull safeness to everything we do. You know, the ponderous passing at the back, the ponderous pass into midfield. We can't break through the lines. And as I said, this sort of struggle for an identity. I couldn't, I know it's only one match, but even in a match, you would expect to. Th- be able to come away and go well I could see okay what they were trying to do but what were we trying to do were we trying to get the ball wide for you know Saar um, were we trying to get the ball up and over the top to Davis when he came on or were we trying to get it up to him for him to hold up and bring other players in around him there was no discernible pattern to anything we did it was just it just seemed to be a sort of random collection of moves whereas on the other hand you know Blackpool were a good effective championship unit they were trying to do simple things and they did them effectively and when they well I mean 15 minutes to go my friend Stuart turned to me and said would you take a point and I said I think I probably would and within a few minutes they had the ball in the back of the net twice and to be fair it could have been worse earlier on because Backman made those two fantastic yeah. saves the point blank header and then the other header from the resulting corner a couple of saves from uh, shots from distance which you would expect him to make but nevertheless they did so cleanly we were second best and the rest you know in the second half and and I, I just I struggle to kind of oh take that on board really it's um uh, you know, I'm up for the whole weekend and so there's more to this weekend for me than just a match but for supporters who've come up seen that and then are heading back down the M6 and M1 this evening uh, that's a pretty you know a rewardless afternoon because there wasn't really a moment where you thought oh yes we are definitely in here we've got the upper hand as you say we look neat and tidy at times particularly in the first half but to absolutely no effect and and that is the kind of football that frustrates me most I'd rather be sort of inept but aggressive we're kind of technically competent-ish but playing this sort of you know pseudo training ground football you know it looks like it's all been marked out on a whiteboard and with little markers theoretical football really isn't it and it just has no end product no real moments that that lift the supporters and I'm not surprised by the end there was there was booing and there was dissatisfaction and people streaming out long before the end yeah I mean going back to to yeah, with, with Billich. If you actually look, you know, he, yes, he has had three games in charge. That is three games within seven days when he wouldn't have had a long time with his team. You know, you look ahead. You know, he's got a week now before his next game. So, you know, how much he's been able to to change rather than just and you know, what you're saying, how what it looks like makes sense in some ways because he's just had to settle. He's just had to keep it simple before he can start doing what he wants to do. And of course having a few players back from injury would, would be very helpful. Um, the substitutions, though, you know, out of all the individual players, you know, I, I, I would have said at, at one point, like you said, for his double save, Barkman was man of the match, you know, loser for his his, his, his goal. Um, top bins, uh, I think, if I was uh, 20 years younger, I'd be saying. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, there's... But it, it, you know, individual performances were were all sixes, sevens at best. Oh, oh. 
overmarking like, there. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's Len Goodman on Strictly Come Dancing, John. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be much more towards the Craig Revel Horwood end of the scale. Okay. I mean, some of them were threes and fours. I mean, yeah, it is different when you're, you know, when you're here. I had this experience at the Birmingham game earlier in the season. You know, when you're watching on the screen, it's all kind of two-dimensional and you can see the mm. positives more. In the ground, when you've got the energy of the supporters around you, you kind of, you are influenced by what other people are shouting and saying as well. But also, you have that kind of sense of where the ball is on the pitch and, and whether the momentum is with you or not. And I just didn't feel any of that today. I didn't think, oh yeah, we've got a head of steam up here. And these, yeah... Okay, cut them some slack, give Bilic some uh, space, but these are professional players that really should be able to put together a performance off the cuff that was better than that today. I mean, as supporters, you know, we're kind of, we try to be patient, but as a club, the hierarchy shows absolutely no patience. And so when you see a performance like that, I think there's there's no room for patience. I mean, Bilic, yes, but the players themselves... I mean, at the end, they kind of tried to come over to supporters. There was no real abuse. There was no kind of, you know, I mean, apart from a quite a sustained chant of you're not fit to sh- wear the shirt um, towards the end. It was just kind of numb, stunned kind of exasperation. Um, a sort of nothing performance from a group of players that we, we do have the right to expect a bit better from. Yeah, and we absolutely do. Um, and it's just it's just not coming together. We're not we're not better than the sum of our parts, which is what you need to be in this division, which in some, some ways Blackpool were and, and definitely Swansea were. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, this idea that the championship is, uh, you know, a roller coaster, thrill a minute, yes, that's absolutely fine. But you have to scrap and fight for absolutely everything. Every ball, every... Um, you know, every decision. I mean, there was a moment towards the end where Saar just let the ball go out, assuming it was going to be his corner. And it yeah. wasn't. It was a goal kick. Did, and yeah, you, yeah. Uh, he's just like, that just sums up Ismail Saar at the moment. A player who looks like he can't wait for um, Senegal's first game in the World Cup and just doesn't want, you know, just he just doesn't look like he, he wants to be participating in this. And oh, after the summer we've had and the kind of the, the almost euphoria of managing to keep him through the, the transfer window... A performance like that today, you wonder, is there any, was there any point to that? And I, yeah, I'm I, I'm sounding exasperated because uh, I, I probably feel quite exasperated. <laughs> I think many Watford fans are feeling that way. Um, is there is there you know do you think though, Lionel, with the with the like from the injury point of view, if we got all our players fit, if the Jao Pedro came into this and then he played a bit of time with with loser. Do you think, you know, they're, they're, that actually there's something in here where we could go on a little bit of a run to just not feel so out of it? I know it's, we're, I think we're four points off the the playoffs. It just, it's not it's not much at, in this league, and we know that Norwich lost at home today, and Sheffield United lost as well. It's not a big thing, but you just want to, I don't know, you want to be yeah, just a little bit closer, don't you? You know, we've kind of lived this season before, haven't we? Albeit from a distance, the the Ivic. Uh, Cisco season where it all looked like it was uh, unravelling completely and then we went on that incredible run. Uh, I mean, it can be done and there's definitely players in there. I mean, Davis is a decent player. I think um, Chowdhury is a a good player as long as, you know, as long as he's got people around him who are going to do the things that he doesn't do. Loser being in the team is, is a bonus. 
Um, I thought it was interesting in the run-up to the game, Billich talking about the injuries and just raising an eyebrow about uh, you know some of the injury records of the players and 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 you know it's been quite opaque over the years, hasn't it? Watford's um, you know treatment room. We don't get to hear an awful lot about you know what's wrong with players and sometimes uh, um, the return date seems to just get put back and back and back and somebody. Is said to be out for a couple of weeks and then suddenly it's a couple of months and then you know i mean cleverly being one i mean he was supposed to be on the way back um and i'm not that i'm crying out for cleverly to suddenly be um, back in the team but i mean the injury situation it's not one of those things where this lot of injuries is all going to suddenly clear up and then we're going to have no injuries um mm. it, it's something that the it's something that a championship side has to cope with there will be injuries, some you know niggling ones and some more serious. So, really, uh, you would hope that the, the the medical staff would would be able to keep people on the pitch a bit more consistently. But um, as I've not heard a coach question um, or or even really raise a comment about the number of injuries or the type of injuries uh, for a while. And Billich saying that in effectively his first week, I thought was interesting. But you know, Billich is a decent coach and he's an experienced man and a, an excellent player. And let's not forget, you know, a centre-half who took no prisoners. I mean, uh, you remember the World Cup semi-final in 98 when effectively he got Laurent Blanc sent off, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and Blanc missed the World Cup final. Uh, you know, Billich knows what a defence needs to look like. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, but he must look at some of the sideways, back-and-forth passing um, you know, the, the, the centre-halves seem to pass it and then sort of almost switch off. And, and, and there were a couple of moments where Truce de Kong was kind of caught ball-watching or caught not ready for the pass to come back and, and creating problems for ourselves. And that's the sort of thing that I think a good coach can iron out quickly. Um, so, yeah, there are positives and there are... You know, we've always got hope, haven't we? But um, at the moment, after the two results we've had... It, it's not just the results, it's the performances. And, and I think we can all accept losing matches, but lose the match the right way by really trying to give, a, you know, give as good as we get. And we didn't do that today. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Thank you so much to Lionel uh, for his, uh, his post-match analysis uh, from outside Bloomfield Road. But now... Part two, Mike and I gathered before the game, and as you're here, we did this very much on purpose to have a chat about one Mr. Gino Pozzo. So, Mike, we are recording this before the game against Blackpool because we always know on the podcast the tone, the enjoyment, the uh, frustration can change quite a lot dependent on what happens on the pitch. So we're, we're doing this before <laughs> the game of, of Blackpool. This is absolutely the the best part of of, of a Watford match day, an hour before kickoff. <laughs> um, the big thing we've had in you know after you know Rob Edwards being sacked, there's been a massive sort of I, I don't really want to call it a conversation. There are fans saying Gino out, Gino out, Gino out, Gino out, and then either others people say no, Gino in, and I, I just find myself in the middle of all that. And I, I suspect lots of people yeah. find themselves in the middle of all this in the same way in politics. Well, not wanting to set you off, Michael, but, you know, there was <laughs> Brexit in and, you know, you, Brexit out. There was all these things and you had to be one or the other. But you don't have to be one or the other in this situation. You can sort of feel a little bit of everything. And that's yeah. a weird place to be. But that's absolutely fine. And I, that's where I find myself. Are you in a, in a similar state at this very point in your time as a Watford fan? 
Yeah, do you know what? I'm I'm grateful for to have the opportunity to have this discussion with you, John, because I've been trying to work out exactly how I feel about Watford and what's been going on, and perhaps more pertinently, why? Do you, do you know what I mean? Because mm. I've been I've definitely felt a little bit down on 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 the whole thing at, at the moment, and I was quite well. We were all quite outspoken when when the Rob Edwards news dropped, and it just felt like a bit of for something perhaps snapped a little bit and there was there was quite a big outpouring of dissatisfaction it felt like it was across the board and I think it's important to caveat that this with we're all quite active online you know mm. for for whatever reason whether it's to talk about the podcast whether it's to interact with other supporters and and Twitter is a is a big part of that and it's really important I think to remind myself sometimes that the Twitter verse if people you still use that phrase, it's still a minute part of of the Watford world, of, of the wider world. I remember someone making the the point: if you get a message out to a hundred percent of Twitter, everyone that's on Twitter, you're still getting an absolute microscopic percentage of the population. So it can sometimes feel like that there's a huge weight of uh, of opinion one way or the other, or that there's a massive debate that's really important because it's taking taking place amongst people that you are aware of or you follow or you're aware of who have different opinions. And it can feel like a debate is raging when in reality, um, in the real world, it isn't. So I think it's it's important to for us to, for all of us sometimes, to take a step back and, and realise that. But to go back to what you were saying, yeah, I've been trying to work out why it was that I felt a bit sort of, I, I guess frustrated and a little bit sad and a little bit worried uh, about about Watford and a little bit sort of just down on it. And what made me question that, John, was how quickly that changed after the Stoke game. Mm. And I thought, Mike, you 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 idiot! Sort of at the start of this week, you were sort of pontificating on how Watford was broken and how this needs to be fixed and that needed to be changed and we should have looked at this and that should happen. And then, of course, Watford go and win in the sunshine and everyone's walking around. Myself, I say everyone, I was walking around with a spring in my step for the rest of the day because Watford had won. So I, so, so I was saying to myself, well, why, what are you upset about? What are you annoyed about? What are you angry about when things can change so quickly? I think you're right, Mike. And I think the thing I tried to, I, I put it to our WhatsApp group. I said, what are the things that Gino has done to make you fall out of love with him? And Colin said, I was never in love with him. Um, and I, I get that. And I suppose what it is, I think what I've, I've felt recently is that I've fallen out of trust with him. And there's many little things over the last few years that have led to this. And it, it, for me, it starts after the FA Cup final against Manchester City. And the, the Rob Edwards thing, that U-turn from what the club were saying to us, because we were craving a reset because of, of these last few years since the FA Cup final, everything that's gone bad in that time... Hmm. we're craving a reset. We thought he was the reset. We thought we were given a chance for a proper reset, even if it wasn't success and instant success. Yeah. That that's And that's the fresh thing that sort of really triggered it again. But it isn't just, it isn't just that. There are many things I think that have, that have come to lie. And well, let's, let's discuss a few of them. Before you, before you kick off, John, just to, just to say it's interesting. I never that we kick off, you... Mark. You're the one who kicks off. Uh, no, give me... <laughs> <laughs> um, what... What I was going to say was, um, you've got, you've got, you've done me with that gag, John. That was quite funny. It was, I've, I've quite enjoyed that. I was just having a little chuckle to myself. What I was going to say was that it's interesting that we use that FA Cup final as a as a bit of a a, a line in the sand, as a bit mm. of a a totem as for, as for when things started going wrong. And 
I think the reason we've done that is because of what I just said there in terms of the results make you feel better, ultimately, don't they? There's, I don't think there's anyone that can deny a Watford win makes your weekend or the rest of your, your week better. That's what we thrive on. And since the FA Cup final, the results haven't been good. We've had two relegations um, and lots of lots of poor performances, quite quite frankly. And it's... I was talking to someone about this yesterday. Football is really, really difficult, and especially at the at the top level. Every time you go out onto the pitch, there's 11 people trying to do the exact opposite to you. They're trying to stop you from doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I think, I wonder. I just wonder. I'm thinking out now whether the FA Cup final and that that line in the sand is a bit of a a bit of a red herring. In as much as we've just we've the results have been bad since then. Is that the moment that things actually started to go wrong? And it's more of a thinking out loud than do we do we attach too much um, significance to that that moment? I don't think it's the moment. I just used when I said that since the I FA know. Cup final. I don't mean yeah, that was yeah. the the start of it. It wasn't the thing that started rolling the ball down. No, I, the, yeah, the I, thing. It's just that's when you know all the things we're going to talk about they seem to really sort of start at that point some of them are, yeah. are bigger than others i think and the, when we get a small one to start off with there's always this feeling i think maybe it's a Watford fan thing or maybe it's a british fan thing you know we we sign and it felt like we neglect many young players that come have signed for Watford some of them from you know from south america like peñaranda some of them younger players as well who come along and we don't let them succeed, really. And there are opportunities, or we should give them opportunities, because when you look then at a player that Watford did sign when they were very young, he had a year with us, and now he's playing in the Champions League for Ajax. You know, Stephen Berghaus had, was given the opportunity to develop. And, and that idea that we're not giving these young players the opportunity, not we're being blind by it and saying, oh, he's young, so we've got to give him a chance, we've got to give him a chance. But there's no, there were, there's, there's never really been space for, as you know, I say, maybe before the FA Cup final for these young players to get through, and it doesn't sort of fit well, I think, for for fans to see people yeah. and young people to be commodities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think on on playing complete devil's advocate, that's that's the nature of the uh, that's the nature of the of the beast, isn't it? Football clubs like to have as many options. As possible, and I guess those options are in the immediate, medium, and and long term. And when you sign a young young player, I guess the idea is that they're they're a long or medium term prospect. So I, I understand what it is, and I, I absolutely take your point about it feeling a little bit um, mm. distasteful that that players are, are commodities and stacked up and and used and discarded as as seen fit. I mean that is that that is the nature of the beast. With with Watford, it's. Yeah, it, I think it it, it it speaks to a sort of wider issue, doesn't it, in terms of in terms of recruitment and whether whether we're getting it right. And Penyaranda perhaps is 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 perhaps the poster boy for what you're what you're talking about, John. I think because it came came with a huge reputation, a sort of a decent body of um, of work at international level behind him, certainly in the younger age groups, and there was, there was high hopes for him. And I guess the question is. Is the player suitable? Is the player able to to kick on to do the work to make sure that his career flourishes as as Watford or Gino Pozzo or whoever signed him wanted? Is the culture and environment suitable to allow that? Which is is the question I think you're probably 
asking. Yeah. Um, and it's, are we seeing players develop at Watford is, is a good question. And who who's really grown at, at Watford underneath, uh, in, in, in the Pozzo era, I suppose, is a good way of, of putting it. And... You know, there's 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 not many, I suppose. You you could say that throw back to the to the modern day. I've got Yasser Espria who's who's playing at, at at the tender age of what is he just eighteen years old? João Pedro, a lot of pressure on on him and the expectation on him because he has developed. So it can happen, but but, but you think are, it's, we, are we yeah. seeing development? Is is the is the question and. It, it's questionable, isn't it? And you do wonder whether it's, are we putting the things in place? Are Watford Football Club putting the things in place to allow these players to come in, flourish, develop and have a long and successful Watford career? I mean, the only one who you would say has has, has felt, you know done the mould of coming to Watford, showing off and moving on for bigger things is Richarlison. But he really didn't do most of his growing at Watford. It was only one season and then he was off and he spent more time you know, solidifying himself as a quality player at, at Everton. So, uh, yeah, like I say, it's, it's not an amazing thing. I suppose, the, the, you know, the thing that really comes, and again, going back to Rob, is this short-term-ism he has with managers. You know, and the worst thing about it is repeated mistakes. I mean, short-termism, my friend Richard, who I sit next to, he sent me, literally today, he sent me a, a text message. He's He's been ill, off work for a couple of weeks, but clearly Watford's always on his mind. Uh, he added up, you know, if you go all the managers since Djokovic, and you add up all the games that those... 12 managers have played. It's 348. And if you sort of count Kike Sanchez-Flores as, as one manager, that's 31 games on average that they've actually been in charge. That's less than a season. I don't think lots of fans would necessarily have that stat as a problem, but it's the fact that those repeated mistakes of those last two relegation yeah. seasons, literally as if they're exactly the same thing in playing yeah. out of his managerial choices, that is... The problem and the fact that Rob has been, you know, sacked so early in the season, if the worry, of course, is that this is all going to happen again. Yeah, I, th- I think, and I think this is where the word trust comes into it, John. And I think you're you're right to mention it. Do we trust Gino to make the right call when it comes to hiring a manager or or head coach? And this is where I think we're all entitled to to question question him, because if you're making three managerial changes a year which it feels like we are at the moment it's the chances are well the the unescapable fact is you're not hiring them you're not hiring the right man in the first place now in the cold light of day it may be that Rob Edwards wasn't the correct hire for Watford Football Club that that may well be the case but why why get it wrong again and and Geordie's made this point in uh, when we've spoken about it you had a long time to get this one right we knew we were going to be relegated from a long time out in the Premier League, Newcastle in September. Um, <laughs> we knew what was coming down the, the track. So this was the time where we should have had an opportunity for some real clear thinking, really strategic, uh, take your time, sound people out, get an understanding of who might be available, what's gone wrong before, why haven't the head coaches succeeded with us so far? And and make your shortlist and make it really really robust. You've got time, uh, and you know what you want. We need promotion. We want promotion. You know the squad that you're hopeful is hopefully going to have. Do your homework. Do your due diligence and get the the right man in that you that, that he's going to be successful. And I know there's no there's no guarantees of anything in football. We we know that we've been watching it long enough to understand that. 
but what keeps if you keep having to fire the manager quickly it means you keep hiring the wrong man and i think of all the criticisms that can be leveled at gino pozzo that is the biggest one for me stop hiring the wrong person and you'll stop having to fire them yeah, um yeah. And, and and this one is and i and i think that's i feel sorry for rob edwards because it's someone else who's fallen into this um the sort of the maelstrom that is the Watford manager's the job. Tangled web have, of Gino Pozzo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, that was a, that was a good. We will laugh after as well, John. That, Thank was, you uh, much. that was super. Halloween's on the way. I'm here for hiring. Uh, yeah, fright, fright nights at Thorpe Park are hiring, John. If you uh, stick your CV. <laughs> but this this is, just, and I think everyone has quite frankly just gone. Oh my God, not again! You've got it wrong, again. Now, the, the, there is an argument for if you think it's going wrong, fair play for pulling the, the trigger straight away. That, in some ways, from a business point of view, if you think you've got it wrong, think it right, screwing it up and starting again is, is often the, the, the best way. And is, there is something admirable, admirable about that. Um, but what I just have this sneaky suspicion that, that when we got promoted, there, was, there were changes, wasn't there? We changed the, we changed the manager in the promotion season. We got up. Um, we did it again out of the championship. We went from Ivic to Cisco and went up. We changed the manager in when after we got promoted the first time. We brought we brought um, we brought Kike uh, Sanchez Flores in. That was a successful season. So there seems to be evidence to to Gino that changing the manager works. And as I've just mentioned, it can be the right call if you if if, if it's not working, fix it if you can. But get it right in the first place. And I think I think people have just run out of. Um, slack for for the for the regularity in which the, the, this hire is is they're, they're getting this key key signing wrong, and I think this year more than than any, as I've said, it's unforgivable's not fair because it's it's just it is difficult. There are other you're playing against other teams trying to outsmart you at every every turn, but to have so much time. Um, available to you and then to get it wrong again it's like what what's going on here yeah why aren't you learning from your mistakes are you not even reflecting on these have you changed yeah. anything you know you know how close was he to the edwards you know appointment you know how close is he to any appointments how much time does he spend on these appointments and that's like I say the questions that we have and the problem that they're repeating and repeating and repeating is the the bigger problem that Watford fans have. So we are adding to this reasons why we're we're out of uh, fallen out of trust with with Gino. The other one is in, of course, which is as we believe his his favourite part of of his job, the one that doesn't have a title, um, is is basically transfers. And there's several things that have come up, and they came. I think Kieran said the fact that he you know throws some mud at the wall and sees what sticks, and that really felt like last season. You know, they, they maybe for whatever reason they did, it felt like let's get a bunch of them, let's see what happened, and nothing stuck to the wall. The, the you know the longer term problem is the fact that I feel he only really invests for the market, as in invests to develop and sell on, rather than investing in what we truly truly need, the defence. Um, he's you know the number of big players he signed for that, well it's zero. Yeah. The list is zero. And then, of course, you want to add in the fact that Moggy Bayat, this this man who we know little about, who rumours say this and blah, 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 says that, you know, it just makes it feel uncomfortable a bit. And I sort of, the one thing about Gino I've, I'm aware of, and 
we know that because we all love the fact that we had all these low knees back in the day in 2012-13. The fact that he is a businessman who knows he is at a club and at clubs, even Udinese, where they are limited uh, in terms of their size and their audience and their income. You know, he uses this market, this transfer market, to generate funds to keep them successful, to keep them near the top. And he, he flies close to the to the wind because that's the way you, what you have to do to get every single last morsel out of this tactic that you have. You know, the fact that, you know, we don't know what this whole Moggy Byatt thing, and really, if you really think about it, it isn't really about that. You know, he's just a football agent, and football agents are always dealing with clubs. He just happens to be one we've dealt with an awful lot. And again, rumours say different things in, in different countries about him. But but that recruitment, there has been a lot of recruitment, but it's a lack of purpose with his recruitment. Again, is a yeah. thing I think that, that really frustrates me it was working with the idea of signing decore and then straight away and sending him out on loan bringing him in and developing him yeah. and moving him on that that was working at that point which well, he, he, he did almost leave straight away as well of course that is he almost true, yeah. went, back to, went back to france that almost went south but yeah there, there are examples of, of of the model model working and we, you know we get to see a couple of them most weeks. You know, João Pedro is undoubtedly going to leave Watford for a lot of money and go to a good club. I suspect Yasser Espria might do exactly that. I think he's going to be a tremendous player. The new player who's, who was announced this this week, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Sorry about that. But another another was he from Colombia? I think he's he's come in and yeah. and may yeah, well yeah. be. So there there is evidence of of that model working. I just do want to touch on Moji Bayat quickly, John, because I think it does link into the overall theme of what we're talking, which is trying to work out what's getting us to this point where we're questioning Gina, where there's perhaps more questions than answers um, about 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 the ownership. And I think you know there is you know irrefutable evidence that that Monty Bayer is involved in some stuff that is yet to be resolved let's put it that way there are some question yeah. marks over his activity and, and and I'm sure that will come out in the fullness of time I'm not in possession of any facts but he let's put it this way he's in the news for more bad things than he is good things and 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 that's undeniable and I think as as Watford supporters who and we're among them who extol the virtues of our football club you know we did the Taylor Trek and we were just delighted with just how immersed it and Watfordy it felt and in, in and the, the community and everything that Graham Taylor and Elton John stood for and what makes the club special to us why we love it so much people are protective of that and rightly so and when someone who looks like they could be questionable in in some way uh, and, and again this will this will come out in the fullness of time one way or the other I think it's it's right that people are upset and and worried and concerned about that. So that does feed into the overall yeah. feeling towards the towards the owner. And and we have to be at pains to say we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the situation is. But I'll say it again: if he's in the news, it's for more bad stuff than it is good stuff. And people can draw their own conclusions from from that at this stage. And as an owner. Do you want to be aligned with someone who's in the press for more good stuff or bad stuff? If I was an owner, I'd want to be aligned with people who were positive. And that doesn't feel like it's the case. Whether we're right or wrong on that will, will remains to be seen. But there is some strong beliefs out there that, that, that the owner is strongly aligned with someone who is 
um, looks like he could be undesirable. And that's that's an understandable issue for people. So we will wait and see what happens there. But I think there are people watching closely and looking into that closely. And I think they have every right to do that. Everyone has a different take on how you want to be a Watford supporter. Some people will turn up at three o'clock and go home at quarter to five. Other people will will, will take a much, much more involved um stance and see themselves almost as custodians and guardians of the club and their reputation and we'll be looking into that and that's that's absolutely right we do that so in terms of feeding into that overall questioning of the owner and why we feel like we do that's that is that does feed into it yeah and Um, and everything we've talked about so far that's what it is it's feeding into it lots of little things young players short-termism managers you know the, the transfer vision uh, and the way it's it's gone about. Can I read you a thread um, that I thought was really, yeah, really good? Um, on, it was in response to me on on Twitter. Basically, uh, uh, sorry, it was response to me after the Swansea game. Where I was bemoaning the lack of balance in the in the squad. And I think afterwards, after we'd, after I'd done that podcast, I was like, am, am I too down? Am I too grumpy on this about this whole situation? Am I letting everything get to me a little bit? And I'm just sort of being quite introspective a little bit myself, looking, trying to work out how, what I'm saying as a supporter and whether it's whether it's right. And anyway, let me read this this thread from from uh, Mike Smart on Twitter. Hi, Mike. Enjoy the pod as, as much as you can after a defeat. Agree about the level of performance. Don't think anyone can agree <laughs> disagree about that. We've been rubbish. But I do take mild issue about the balance, especially your issues about right back. We have two right backs and Craig Cathcart as a respectable third choice. Seems reasonable to me, just a shame they're injured. There's a recurring question about whether we're doing something to increase risk of injury, but sometimes it's just bad luck. There's another question about whether they're good enough. Jury's out on Jeremy Ngakia. He's never had a sufficient run of games to prove it. As for Mario Gaspar, he's had a great career at a top European side and he's only 31. Despite Watford Twitter deciding he's no good before the ink was dry on his contract, there's no real reason with the run of games that a Villarreal legend wouldn't be good enough for Watford. I think we're missing a ball-carrying midfielder. Yasser Aspir will probably become that, but needs to be nurtured and built up physically and tactically. Other than that, this squad has balance and at least two players for every position. Now, I, I, I know Twitter would probably react to that, saying, "Oh, you know, happy clapper, glass half full. You know, you can't see you can't see Gino's blind spot." But actually, that's a very measured and reasoned take, and it and it spoke to me because I thought, well, yeah, actually, if you take a step back. And look at it. I don't think the squad is is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we have been blighted by by injuries as well. So, with a bit of luck and a fair wind, could this Watford side have been much much better this this year? If Ngakia wasn't injured, for example, we wouldn't be um, scrabbling around for a right back. If Craig Cathcart wasn't injured, we wouldn't be scrabbling around for a right back. He, as Mike said, he can ably step in. And I think I wonder whether it's the peripheral stuff. That clouds my, that's been clouding my view on the on the state of the squad. Maybe I still don't know is the honest answer. But I really enjoyed that measured response from Mike, sort of gently chastising me, saying, you know, take a step back and look, and actually look at it a, a bit more dispassionately. And we the the squad is is good. And so what I'm getting at is I'm questioning myself with the with the with the state of the team, the transfers. Sometimes does it just come down to bad luck that we've got so many out out injured? It does, and what you said on the last podcast, right after the Swansea game, where several players had gone off injured and the whole injury problem just seemed to rise up 
even more. I think you know that's where you say you are measured, Michael. Um, and I think you know what you just what you said after that game in, in the week. But Mike is absolutely right. I suppose it's just there's a massive amount of unfortunateness, and it's hard to really judge. Is it unfortunateness or is it badly done of something or another in this? In yeah. this, in this yeah, all the and things is, that could go wrong. There is another element in, that you, you touched on and we, we've sort of skated over, which is that there's investment in certain parts of the squad which go on to make the club money. And that, that you cannot deny there has been underinvestment in, in the defence. And, you know, if, if Gino was here sat with us, he, could, he would say, well, look, Sierra Alta's a good player, Cathcart's a good player, and Gaki is a good player, Gaspar has had this experience. Um, Hassan Kamara is, is a super. He, he would list defenders and say, and he'd say, well, actually they're they're decent. But o- over the course of the of the ownership, there's probably been well, certainly the latter half, perhaps the last five years or so, uh, post FA Cup final, if you if you like, <laughs> a, a lack of investment in the in the defence, and it does it goes back to what you were saying, John, about how running things in terms of keeping things ticking over, and it does feel a little bit like you know, if I don't know if anyone's a a, a, a betting man but occasionally you do a an accumulator on a Saturday and you pick 10 results and it's the odds are 20,000 to one or something so I'll stick two quid on that and I might win 40 50 grand or whatever whereas the reality was if you if you sat down and said right I'm just going to put a couple of quid on the favorites every week and I'll might win 20 quid every week but over the course of a season I'll end up comfortably up but instead, you know, you do, oh no, I'm going to chance it. I'm going to go for the. I'm going to go for the big win. I'm going to go for the two quid on the on the massive odds. And it feels a little bit like that with the, with the transfers. The, yeah. the defenders are going to be harder to make money on. Whereas you know, I've mentioned him already: João Pedro, Ismael Assar, Aspria, Richarlison, the, the one that's gone on to, to to be sold for lots of money. They're they're where it's you probably feel more comfortable. Um, bringing them in, that you're going to get, you're going to get money back for them. But the overall question there is, is is that approach? You know, is 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 Watford just a player trading post? To is that, and and the question there is, that's not a great feeling. That it's just about bringing players in and selling them for profit. Because is that all Watford Football Club is? And you know, there's obviously the questions about that, and and what you get about that as a supporter, and what you get out as a club. But the reality is, is anyone outside the top six of the Premier League anything other than that? No, we always have been, and we were, you know, pre-Potso. You know, the idea of you know every player is always for sale because of the size of the football club we are. I suppose mm-hmm. it's the fact that as football fans for a long time now, we've looked at our squad and gone. The defence needs a bit of work. The defence needs a bit of work. It doesn't need a whole huge, you know, turnover, but it does need some sort of investment. And I don't mean the same size of investment that you're thinking of when it comes to, you know, the the, the strikers, because you know they're going to make more money. But the the you know something outside of the Pozzo network, I suppose, is would would we've never really done with our defence, um, especially the centre backs, and that's what you feel maybe maybe it's that. But like I say, we've all these things we've talked about so far, they all sort of add up to why we don't feel this trust towards Gino at the moment and things need to happen to build that up again. But really it all comes down to why we feel these things for me is the fact he's he ha- he's radio silent. He's done one interview mm-hmm. uh with uh the Wopt Observer way back in two thousand and twelve, uh, with Frank Smith. You know, we don't know him. We don't know a little bit about his thinking. Um I know most Watford 
fans wouldn't necessarily have that connection with people within the club and we're lucky enough to have interviewed many of them and you know with Scott and how you know when we see how he is in terms of how we interact with him and what he tells us you get these ideas about the choices and stuff he makes and I think if you know if he was to sit down now with anybody I don't mean you know this is not us putting a plug in saying hey we want to interview Gino Pozzo hmm. I'm sure the, the club know that of course we will. of course of course but it's there's a there's a point now where what for fans want to hold him up against the wall and sort of say why this why this why this and stand there and listen not, to me metaphorically, metaphorically not absolutely metaphorically yes sorry <laughs> and just shout at him say look this, why this why this and then they want to tell him how, what they think he should do because of this this anger because of this annoyance that they have at the moment. But what I really crave for him is I want to know about him. I want to know what he thinks about stuff in the past more than the now. And the reason for that is I want to know what he thought was his massive success. When did he do the transfer window? An absolute treat. What was the worst thing he ever did? Out of all his managers, where did he see his biggest regret? Where did he see his biggest success? Because then, in the next 10 years of him being the owner of Watford, I then have some reference points to how he felt about different situations in the in that moment, but also looking back on them as well. And and that means I can sort of start imagining his brain a bit, mm-hmm. or at least, at yeah. least not trying to imagine too much, because I know a little bit more about him. I don't need to... Oh, it would be quite interesting to know if he's a fan of Game of Thrones, but, you know, it, it's, it's the, you know, the, the man... And what he thinks yeah. is what I want. So you don't, I don't think we need to hold him to account at this point from the point of view of, yeah. as I say, metaphorically holding up against the wall and demanding answers to why these current yeah, mistakes I mean, have, have happened. I mean, I think I, I understand your, your approach 100%. I think, and I've said this before, I think the reality is that if an owner goes on, on record to speak, he's going to speak and guess the things he's going to say. Um, every decision I make is in the best interest of Watford Football Club. Yeah. I want to make sure that Watford are successful. I take financial decisions uh, to make sure that Watford are sustainable as, as possible. Um, the people I surround myself with are the people that I think are helping me to do that. I love the football club. I love the surrounding area. I love the legacy. I love the fans. That's that's what I th- I'm pretty certain what what he would say that in the cold light of day if Gino was going to give an interview I'd, I'd suspect that I'd expect that's exactly what he would say what, what's interesting about what what you say and how we you'd approach it and how we'd approach it if we spoke to him would be to be more conversational hmm. and to ask him about you know the, the, what what's what he feels has gone wrong what he feels has gone right what what decisions has he has he felt um he he, he regrets perhaps or would, would do differently given his time again mm. and i think the reason that we are thirsty for that is because it would reassure us that he's thinking about it and that there is some introspection <laughs> yeah. and there is some there is some method in the uh in the in the madness quite quite frankly because if we hear this like well i regret um perhaps i was hasty and again i think this is very very unlikely i think people in who are uh, in, in a, a certain level are unlikely to admit mistakes um, for whatever reason, but rightly or wrongly. But if he was to say, oh, perhaps we should have given Javi a little bit more time or mm. in terms of these this little clutch of transfers, that should have been done uh, in the summer instead of January. It would have given us a better chance to the Premier League. Um, this is my thinking in terms of the, the defence. I think the players are good enough. 
that would just make us feel a little bit better in terms of the fact that there's not just they're just sat around um uh, with a back of on the back of a fag paper just sort of seeing who's available and, and this that and the other it would just i think it's that would be reassurance and again leads goes back to our overarching question why is it that we're feeling a little bit uneasy about our relationship with gino at the, at the moment and the most uneasy we've ever felt at, at this stage and i think not understanding the man i think again i think it's unlikely that we're we're ever going we're going to get that i'd love the opportunity to do it but i think it's unlikely we're ever going to get under his, I don't mean it irritating, but under the skin of the man to understand his thought process. I don't think that's, he's obviously not a public man and I, I think he's unlikely to share that. I think the big, the bigger issue around being silent is is around communication. And whilst I've said a bit on what we, I think we can expect to support us, which is not much, quite frankly, what I think we've seen in the last six six months, four months, three months, week, two weeks if you like is 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 a question mark over the communications within the club because i think that one of the reasons that we felt so aggrieved and so fed up and so tired and so defeated by the rob edwards sacking wasn't necessarily because rob was or wasn't the right man it was because what we were told in the summer was that we will back him through hell or high water and apologies to, to scott duxby for bringing that quote up but it's that's it is it crystallizes the issue of communication within the club because i've said it before i don't think scott duxbury would say that if he thought there was a realistic oppor- uh, chance of of of, of rob edwards not being backed and so that just shows a a fracture if you like between the the people at the top you know there's this issues with cristiano giretta as well he's going he's coming he's back he's not back he, this is what he's doing this is not what he's doing some people obviously not really sure what's going on at any given moment and i think that is a concern how much is 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 gino pozzo talking to other senior members of the of the board and seeking counsel and and bouncing ideas off them or taking advice or or vice versa giving people an opportunity to to, to provide their feedback as to how the club is is being run or what might be good at this moment or what might be better at, at you know how much is, is of that is happening because there just seems to be so many conflicting positions coming out of the football club that lead us to this sort of anger really in in a lot of cases and it's a word that I don't enjoy being banded around but people say that we're we're being lied to there's just lies coming out of the football club and I think I understand why that word is used but I think it's incorrect I think the the words that are spoken of are believed at the time to be true I don't think people are telling outright lies on, on purpose I think there is muddled communication which means that people are left with thinking this is the view this is the the prevailing view at Watford Football Club when actually it's about to change and that's the issue I think I have about about communication with with Gina how much are you talking to to important people at the club and 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 I would question that so there's comms there's managers getting the hiring and firing wrong and then there's the the transfers and they're they're three pretty chunky bits yeah that 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 he's he's demonstrably getting wrong does it you know does it make him a bad person does it make him the wrong person to lead Watford well maybe if you're getting those three wrongs 
all the time. And again, I'll caveat it. It's difficult. Running a football club is difficult. Um, we don't know what the financial situation is. We don't know if that's down to mismanagement or not. We don't know whether it's just that's the the, the, the cost of running a football club is, is is what it is. And it's and again, we'll we'll find out. And again, there are people looking into it, and I think that's absolutely right. And I think if there's red flags, they need to be taken serious notice of. And and you know, as critical friends, as people who care deeply about the club, you have to look at that, and you have to be interested in that, and you have to take an interest in it. And I, and I certainly do. But is are, are those things? Do they mean that he's not not fit to run the football club? Should he be out? Well, maybe if he keeps getting it wrong, because ultimately we want our club to be better on all those things. And if and if the the person who is in charge of them isn't delivering them, then why wouldn't we want someone who can do a better job? Of course, the reality is that until there is someone to come and do that better job, it's kind of a moot point. So the premise of saying yes, we want someone who can do better is absolutely fine and and makes perfect sense but so is saying who is the alternative because there needs to be a line a, a, a succession and and I'm, I've said it before I'm sure there are I'm sure that if the right offer came in for Watford Football Club then a deal would be done I, I, I've no doubt about it but then we, we know there are sort of rumours of um, trying to get a new minority investor which which doesn't mean Gino doesn't Gino has to leave uh, of course but it doesn't mean he certainly won't get rid of his role of being part of the recruitment and development of, of players, which is the thing that he seems to have so much joy from. But it would give someone another voice, a strong voice, to question him, to talk to him, rather than people he employs be the people who talk to him and probably question him, but not maybe all the time because he's their boss. So you, you hope maybe that would be a change that would... It will be a change rather than an absolute, you know, cast, not catastrophic. It could be catastrophic, catastrophic, um, uh, by changing him and just getting him to leave the entire club because that's there's, there's too much to just make it and keep it and make it make it that simple. The question simple. The question though is in some ways, Michael. The, the word protest comes up quite a lot. We mm-hmm. did talk about it a little bit on on that podcast. I think my suggestion was. We all decide a minute and in the game, and if you have a problem, that's the minute you boo, rather than booing at the end of the game, because it might feel like it's at the players. And we reminded this week of Jack Petchy. Um, it was reprinted in the uh, Watford Observer on the website, uh, but it was originally in YBR, a piece that Colin Payne did, uh, the editor of, of YBR, one of the editors of YBR, uh, fanzine. Uh, and the fact that he sort of puts a case together for... You know, many years later, I might want to, to add to this, Colin, um, about what Jack Petchy did for Watford Football Club, where at the time, it didn't feel good. At the time, fans went and found him or tried to go and find him uh, in a protest after a game. And, you know, that then reminds you of exactly where we were when Gino yeah. and his dad turned up um, with an owner of Lawrence Bassini who talked too much. Um, and talked quite obviously a lot of drivel, uh, and I suppose it's just reminding you know myself of those those past owners uh, and how you view yeah. them differently now makes a protest seem not at all the thing to do with Gino. It's it's a really interesting because look, football is so emotive, and we know how important it is to to people because we know how important it is to us. And I think if you feel that your club that you care so deeply about is being run 
whichever the strands you, you think, whether it's all of them, whether it's some of them, whether it's finance, whether it's transfers, whether it's sacking managers, whether it's just results on the pitch that you just, it makes you unhappy because you care that deeply about the club. I understand the, the, the desire to do something about it because otherwise you're just sat there passively while your club uh, fails or, or doesn't perform how you want them to do. So there is an, a natural instinct to want to do something about that. I think that Jack Petchy piece was absolutely fascinating because what it does is, is dispassionately looks at a historic period in the, in the, in the club's history. And, and Colin makes the point that Jack Petchy was pretty much widely despised by Watford supporters. And the reason he was despised was because he wouldn't spend money. But of course, the reason he wouldn't spend money was there wasn't any money to spend. And, you know, he was a, a, a thrifty, he made his money by being canny businessman. And he wasn't about to just start splashing cash just on the off chance that Watford might do well um, in the Ensley League Championship or, or, or <laughs> Division One, whatever it was then. He was never going to do it. It had to be money in uh, if there was ever going to be money out. And that's that's how he ran the club. And he was, ran the club, sorry. And he was universally unpopular because of it, because he he he, he was, it seemed to be... Um, not negligent, that's not the right word, but just not interested in in success. And both sides of that argument are correct. Because if he, if the balance, if, and it's kind of the same with Mike Ashley, really, at, at Newcastle. Newcastle hated him because he wasn't spending money that they didn't, he didn't have. The books were balanced perfectly. The club was sustainable. They weren't in masses, masses of debt. But they weren't challenging for Europe. They weren't challenging for trophies. They weren't challenging at the top of the Premier League. The first thing I saw some Newcastle supporters do when they got taken over by, um, uh, by well, you know who they've been taken over by, mm-hmm. was to work out the ways that they could get into debt, how they could spend <laughs> as much money as possible without breaking financial fair play rules. <laughs> and that shows the sort of the, the mindset of some supporters is spend the money, give me success. I need my club to be successful. Spend, spend, spend. Deliver it to me so I can enjoy it. And that is understandable. If you want to, you know, you talk about, you watch Erling Haaland, for example, at Manchester City, who, who quite frankly isn't isn't human. There's a, I haven't got the words to express what he's doing at the moment. But imagine turning up and seeing him play in your shirt. It must be absolutely magical. You Do, do you worry about how that transfer came to be, where the money came from? A lot of a lot of supporters simply won't. So, seeing your team be brilliant must be amazing, but it's it's not feasible for most clubs. Um, but what you can be is is better, or striving to be better, or well run to, to to be better. But if you're well run, does that mean spending money that you haven't got? Does that mean stretching yourself, or does it mean being super prudent and making sure that the club is there for generations to enjoy um, in in the future? So, with that time, looking back at the Jack Petchy era, both sides of the argument are right. It, fans were right to be upset because the the football wasn't great, because the squad was was thin, and and, and the results weren't there. So, spend some more money. His argument was, I'm not going to spend the money. I want Watford to be to be able to stand on its own two feet, to be sustainable, and to be safe. Both of those are true because Watford is still here. Um, they built the Vicarage Road stand. Admittedly, it's not the most amazing stand in the world, but he built it with money that we st- he, he, we earned from selling Paul Furlong. Sell a player, earn the money, build the stand. You know, simple economics that was stuck to. But in the world of football, simple economics seem to fly out the window. No one, that's not good enough 
for for us as as supporters, and that's not a criticism. It's it's just the way it is. So, yeah. what what will what will we think when we look at the Gino? If if Gino was to leave today, what would we look back on? What will our grandkids, for example, think of the era? When they look and they think, well, Watford in the Premier League for six seasons, they got to a Premier uh, an FA Cup final. They missed out in the in the in a, in a playoff uh, final. Uh, there was that goal. They beat Man United regularly. Uh, they beat Arsenal. They beat Tottenham. They beat Liverpool. They stopped one of the best best Liverpool teams uh, ever ever in the history of the football league uh, from having an, an invincible season. But also, there was a bit of naffness at the tail end of that of that decade in charge. It would be really interesting to... to we, obviously, we can't, and there's no answers to it, but it would be really interesting to know how how it would be viewed now and whether... And, and this goes back to my point at the start. I feel really down about it and really upset and a bit conflicted and a bit worried. But am I... Am I overdoing it? Am I Am I too... You know, in the grand scheme of things, this is this is a pretty small blip in the in the Watford world, maybe... Maybe, but, but everything we've discussed, and I'm sure I've gone on for longer than you'd hoped or anticipated, John, but everything that we've talked about says, well, we're entitled to be to be worried because the owner is getting some significant things wrong on a really regular basis. And we could be better. And with better decision making, we should be better. And I think as a football supporter, you're entitled to expect that. And I think that's where the the range of frustrations that are coming out in a variety of ways seem to have hit a sort of critical mass uh, at the moment. And it's it's totally understandable. But I would I guess we all need to ask ourselves, what are we expecting? What do we want? And how do we expect that to be achieved and, and managed? And if there's not a simple answer for all of that, then you have to then cut the owner some slack a little bit and say, well, I can't work it out because it isn't easy. So maybe we just take a breath and and and, and think about it that way. So for for protests, it's it's entirely up to the individual. You are a supporter of a football club. You pay your money. You you you, and you, you do what you want. You, you do what you think is best in support of the football club. But I, I would urge taking a beat before going down that route and, and working out what the best form of protest is, if indeed that that's the route that, that as a fan base we want to we want to go down. It's it's a tricksy one, as we have um, as we've probably worked out over the course of the last um, half an hour, because I don't don't think we've necessarily come up with any conclusions. But what I will tell you is, I feel better. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Come on, you Orns. There we go. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you want to read the article uh, we talked about about uh, about Colin sticking up <laughs> sticking up for uh, Jack Petchy, uh, you can get it uh, on a previous copy of YBR um, the fanzine, and you can get a copy of that by going to the WatfordTreasury.com, uh, where you can you can get all the past. Uh, uh, editions, uh, but it also as I mentioned, it is on uh, the Watford Observer Sports pages from I think it came out the fourth of October. Uh, so do have a check out of that uh, and make sure you give your support behind YBR. Uh, thank you to Michael uh, for our little session there, and hope it makes his weekend a bit better. I doubt it will because three one away, you know, three one away loss isn't really that happy. But thank you for Lionel for coming on and talking about it. We'll be back, of course, after the next Watford game, uh, where we'll have a chat about that. Uh, and um, and actually, 
some of you have messaged us on our Taylor Trek podcast, which came out last weekend. We put together, whilst we were walking with Dave Messenger, a, a, an 11, of Watford, 11 Watford players who, when they arrived, we were excited uh, and we were just completely let down by them. But they had to arrive when they were excited. And several of you have been in touch uh, about that. I think we'll, we'll make, have to make some changes. Uh, I'll talk about that again, of course, on the next episode of From the Rookery. And do follow us, of course, if you want to get involved, uh, at Watford Podcast uh, on the old uh, social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and uh, also you can email us, podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Thank you so much. Thank you to Lan. Thank you to Mike. No thanks, Watford. Uh, and, uh, well, not the, the, not the first team. Uh, and hopefully, hey, hopefully, some more things can be ironed out fairly soon. Come on, you horns! Uh. Thank you.